Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5. To Hebrews chapter 5. This morning it will be our privilege to look together at this 14-verse chapter, centering our thinking on our Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest. Let me also say, before we turn to the text, that Parents are invited uh, to dismiss their children, ages 4 to 6, to children's worship training. They'll come back about 10.35 this morning. And uh, it's a good occasion for them to learn to worship the Lord together. Uh, But you may also have your children stay here among us as we turn now to the Word, the Word written to be preached. Hear the Word of the Lord, Hebrews chapter 5, 14 verses. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obliged to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect... He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God as a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Amen. May God bless that reading of his word to us. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we ask now that your word would be open. You have inspired it. It has come down by the power of the Holy Spirit, carrying along the prophets and apostles of old. But we ask now that you would illumine it, that you would shine its light in our hearts and lives. We ask, O God, as your word is explained and also applied to conscience, that we would be moved changed, made more in the image of Jesus, all to your glory we pray, in Christ's name, amen. 
Well, the book of Hebrews, the epistle to the Hebrews, is simply marvelous. It's a marvelous book. It contains the highest Christology in all the scriptures. Here, we see a book which begins with Jesus as the definitive word from God. The the period at the end of the sentence, uh, that culmination point of all of God's special revelation about his son. In the book of Hebrews, we also soar to great heights. We soar to the heights and hear the author tell us under inspiration of the Spirit that Jesus is is superior to all of the angelic forces and beings, that unseen part of creation which is so important. And the text circles back to earth kisses the ground again on which we walk, speaks to us of the importance of the incarnation and of the atonement, that God's Son does not fly over our heads as great as He is, but that He touches us in the flesh, that He makes a difference in our lives, that by His blood shed, we can know forgiveness of sins and fellowship with God forever. There's no book. There's no book which is more glorious in the greatness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This morning we come to the fifth chapter, where the priesthood of Christ is emphasized. We learn that he is a priest, but not just a priest like Aaron. Aaron was a great priest, mind you, but Jesus is greater than Aaron. Jesus is greater still. We learn here in these 14 verses that Jesus Christ is a higher and better priest than any of the sons of Aaron to our comfort and to our encouragement in our Christian lives. So let's look at the text together. It begins by saying, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. You see, here we learn that the sons of Aaron, that Aaron and the Aaronic priesthood was taken from among men, from among men and women and boys and girls, from among humankind, just like you and the person sitting next to you. Now, that's really a very strange thing when you think about it. Men, not angels, not cherubim or seraphim, not the ones who are perfect and holy and have the right and privilege of dwelling in the presence of a holy God, Men, men are the one who are chosen as priests. You see, some of the angels fell from the holy estate in which they were created. They fell and became demons. They, they gave up their position of privilege and fellowship with God in order to work against Him and undermine His kingdom, in order to glorify themselves following Lucifer, their leader. But the angels who did not fall, the angels who have always served God in faithfulness and holiness, they still walk with Him. They still do His will. Their very name speaks to us of the fact that they bring messages from God. They reveal things about God. They carry out His work and do His favor and bidding. They have never wavered or faltered in their faithful service. They have never fallen into sin and misery and the horrible and broken estate in which we live. 
The same, you see, cannot be said of men. All of us have sinned, have we not? All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us is righteous, Paul declares. No, not one. Not your pastors, not your elders or deacons. Not the most famous preacher in all the land or history. No, not one is holy and righteous as they ought to be. Humankind, you see, is but a shadow of what it used to be. So why choose priests from among men? Why take priests from among the fallen sons of men who fall so short of God's glory? Why not choose angels who are righteous and can intercede between God and man? They appear to be the most natural ones to choose for this great function. Fallen angels have no priests. Those demons are doomed and and they will surely be thrown into the lake of fire as God has promised. God made them holy, but they rebelled. And their judgment is sure. They shall not ever escape. But you see, here by choosing man, God is highlighting that there's a difference. Men are different than the angels. There's something different about men because God has set his love upon them and he has chosen some out of a fallen and broken world to rescue, to set their feet even in a holy place, even in the very heavenlies with God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. There is hope for man, no matter how sinful or how lost or how rebellious. Because of God, there is hope for sinners like you and me. So God, to signal his great plan of salvation, in order to begin its outworking and its application to us, from among sinners like us, he has chosen a witness, a set of servants, a blessing that we might not have hearts all cast down, but might have hope of heaven, hope in the God of heaven, and so look for our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes late at night we lie in our beds and we find ourselves with a shadow of terror which falls upon us. All the world comes crashing in. Everything seems like such a heavy burden. You know, in our family, we've learned that after a certain time at night, it's just not better to have a serious conversation. (laughs) But all is not lost. You see, the good news of the gospel is that there's hope in God. There may not be hope in us. We may be weak and double-minded and not as faithful as we should be, but God has sent priests God has chosen priests from among men, and that lets us know that little hors d'oeuvre, that little encouragement, that there is a hope of heaven among men if we will but trust in Him. And so God chooses priests from among our human fellows that we might know and feel that there is light. There is light at the end of the tunnel. And these priests were appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin, the author of the epistle to the Hebrews tells us. Well, they were appointed by God, it says. Not by themselves, not by some other man or woman. They were appointed or chosen by God himself in order to fulfill this role. 
Have you ever seen someone who chooses the plum job for themselves? Or have you ever been to one of those movies where it says that the actor, the director, and the producer are all Ron Howard? (laughs) Those movies usually don't turn out so well. The Aaronic priesthood was not like that at all. The sons of Aaron did not appoint themselves. They did not call themselves to this role. They were not even chosen by Aaron or by another. Instead, God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, the God of all salvation, he made that choice. He appointed Aaron and he appointed the sons of Aaron in their generations to the job of the priesthood. Now, no doubt some loved the job and flourished in it. They watched their fathers serve. They, they were very excited as they, they watched them put on the linen, as they, they watched them go and serve in the temple, as they, they watched them do sacrifices. They were thrilled in their souls and they said, that's what I want to be like when I grow up. When I was studying at New College in Edinburgh, I remember working in the front room there in a in a bay window where the little bit of sunshine would come in. It was, it was just the perfect place to read Calvin's commentaries. But one day there was this commotion that came from the back of the flat. There was this sound of almost shouting, and it was coming from our two- or three-year-old son, Reed Rankin. So I shot back there thinking something was wrong, and as I looked in the door, he was standing tall and sure on the single bed. He had an arch to his back and a, and a look of dignity in his eye. And I said, son, what in the world are you doing? He had taken the pillows off of the bed and, and he had arranged them into a series of steps so that he could uh, mount the platform. And then the little table next to the bed, he had turned that uh, desk lamp around and, and had it crooked over a Bible that was upside down. And he looked at me like I had lost all of my sense. And he said, well, Daddy, I'm preaching. I said, what? And he turned again and looked at the book, and this is what he said. Blah, 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 blah. Is that good, he asked. Carry on, I said. Often, boys like what their fathers do. But not always. Maybe if you had been a son of Aaron, and you had been raised to understand that you had a responsibility to the priesthood, that you had been called by God, perhaps your hand would have recoiled from that calling. You might not have liked the long hours. Maybe the smelly sheep didn't go down so well with your allergies. Blood... Fat, fire, smoke, none of these may have been your cup of tea. But God had called you to that task. God had placed you in his providence in that line of Aaron, and you had to do it. It was a divinely ordained work. It was your duty to fulfill that calling. And frankly, God had not made any provision in his law for little complaints and upsets. And so you would have to learn to love the job you hated. You would have to learn to love that dirty job. You would have to learn to sweat 
and washed to the glory of God. Why? Because God had appointed you to that office to make sacrifice and to offer gifts for men. You see, the root of the problem was sin. root of the problem was in the ear and in the eye and in the heart of man. Your first father, he saw that which was not his. He heard that it would be such an aid and a help to him in his life. He believed the lie rather than the truth of God. And so he plunged you and me and us all into brokenness and heartache and misery. Sin. And all of the misery that comes from it, all of the offense of a holy God, turning over a new leaf, making a new U-turn in life, recognizing that it's a new season and that there's a new schedule and that maybe this year in school or maybe in this fall at work, things will be different and things will be better. That in our home, we will just forget about all of that past and everything will be goodness and light. None of these optimistic agendas ever make a dent in sin. Out. Out. Damned spot, we can all scream. But yet, the spots are not removed. For the effort and scrubbing of men never remove the offense to God. The appointed priests came by the command of God to mediate death, to mediate death to us all, to us and for us. You see, they stood in the gap between a holy and a righteous God and sinful and broken men and women and boys and girls. And from them have we not learned about the law of God thundered down from Mount Sinai? Have we not learned about the category of offense? Have we not learned not just the feeling, but the reality of guilt and the prospect of punishment? Have we not learned both about blood and death and about identification and substitution, even in those little eyes of lambs and bulls and goats that blink at us before we sacrifice them? All the building blocks of the gospel of salvation were there for the Aaronic priesthood. They were there in basic form of shadow. The priest showed by their actions. The priest taught by their words. The need that we all have of a Savior and the hope of heaven found only in the one mediator between God and man our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. His blood, His blood to be shed on Calvary, not the blood of bulls and goats, but His blood was the only source of real forgiveness we can ever know. But these priests who had such a messy and unhappy job to do on one level, they understood us. They were able to deal gently with us. 
they were able to sympathize with our weaknesses because, you see, they had been traumatized by the dislocations of life just as we have. They knew what it was like to have alienation from self and alienation from God and alienation from man. You see, we, we are fallen creatures. And that means we don't get along with our mothers as we ought. We are fallen creatures. And we don't get along with our fathers even though they clothed us and they fed us. We are fallen creatures and we don't get along with our siblings. We don't get along with our spouses. To be blunt, we don't even get along with ourselves some days. You know that, don't you? We're a mess. And we are in need of a Savior. We are in need of one who will come, who will come into the world and will speak words of truth and will not just show us, but will do something to change us and make us back into what we ought to be. And so the good news of the gospel from the first verse of Hebrews chapter 5 is that God has sent His only Son into the world to die for sinners like us, to be a great high priest for us. Yes, the Aaronic priesthood prepared the way, but the Father appointed His Son that we might have life everlasting in Him. And so, verse 5 says, Christ did not exalt Himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by Him who said to Him, You are My Son. Today, I have begotten you. And he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You see, the Son of God knows God the Father from the inside out. They dwell together in that perfect unity of light and life and fellowship and love between God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. They have never turned their faces away from each other. They have never been ripped apart at the fabric of being and, and fellowship level. They, they always deal with one another in holiness and righteous, righteousness and goodness and truth. And so for the Son of God to come is for God Himself to come. For the Son of God to come is to reveal the Father and the Spirit. For the Son of God to come is for us to know what God is truly like. No stroke, no jot, no tittle or letter out of place. He tells us the truth. And so He reveals the great plan of salvation. And what He tells us, we can stake our life on it. We can stand firm and sure, confident, knowing that He never lies he never deceives. He is the exact opposite of what confronted our first father and mother in the garden. He knows and he reveals. And his priesthood is not transitory like Aaron's. It's not that he's a priest today and not a priest tomorrow. He is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. That mysterious figure in the Old Testament who's a priest king, and appears on the scene. And even Father Abraham gives him tithes, receives a fellowship covenant meal from him, 
and bows down before him in honor to the dignity of his office. Oh, the greater priesthood is held by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And this means that our Lord Jesus is the one, our great high priest, who is simply marvelous and is absolutely to be adored. He is better than any other priest all down through history and as difficult and messy and burdensome as their offices and roles were, His was the most difficult path of all. His was the most self-sacrificial of all. He who knew no sin and had had nothing but fellowship with His heavenly Father became sin on the cross And so the wrath of God was poured out upon Him rather than us that we might be saved. Oh, Jesus, you see, was perfectly fit for His job. In the days of His flesh, verse 7 says, He offered up prayers and supplications with loud tears to Him who was able to save Him from death, and He was heard because of His reverence. Although He was a son, He learned obedience. Through what he suffered. And so to his divinity was added humiliation. God in the flesh. God all-knowing, all-powerful, all-glorious became the one who dwelt in a little manger. Who walked and played with the neighboring children who found himself viewed suspiciously and hated by his community, misunderstood because of his goodness and pushed back because of his righteousness. Oh, he is tops, but he was treated, was he not, like the dust under our feet. He was tops. And he was determined to do that which was necessary to even kick it up one more notch. That the God of all glory would add to himself a human body and a human soul so that he could see us, so that he could touch us, so that he could change us in our life and flesh and feeling and thinking in our daily human lives. And so his, to his divinity... He added his own human experience. Calvin rightly says, from the moment of his conception, he began to pay the price of our salvation. From the very womb, he embraced the humiliation and lack of dignity that should have been accorded to him in his office. You see, his humiliation perfected perfection. By His pain and suffering, He demonstrated to His heavenly Father and to the angels and to all the world that it was His right. That it was His right to take up His life again and to shine like the new day sun and to pour out His life to all who believe in Him, to all who trust in Him by His grace, to each and every one who had been appointed for eternal life. All the universe knows 
and will soon know and confess that He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Every eye will see Him. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so, we are told that He dispenses His salvation, which He has earned. Being made perfect, He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him, being designated by God as a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He is our only priest. He is our only hope. And He is the one in whom your soul can trust and will never be disappointed. Do you remember the old hymn? Whom have I in heaven but Thee? There is none upon the earth that I would desire besides Thee. Whom have I in heaven but Thee? There is no other. That is what your Jesus does for you. He sacrifices Himself so that you might have what is His. He becomes your hope for heaven. Not a little animal or a bull or a goat. Not some little cute thing handled by some strong man. But the greatest and strongest one of all who embraces weakness that he might be mistreated and so give his life for you if you will but trust him. His life will be your life. You will be made a child of the king forever. You will have the privilege of following Him and giving God glory all the days of your lives. Men, not angels, are chosen as priests that you might look and long for the great high priest who is absolutely perfect and meet for all your needs, able to see you safely through this life and to the next. And so the author of the epistle to the Hebrews glories in Jesus as the great priest of God. And then he turns his attention back to us and he presses our hearts with great power. You see, we have a role to play as well. If we are united to Him by faith and by the Spirit, if He is ours and and we are His, then what matters to Him and, and what He has done in His life is not outside of us. It's not irrelevant to us. It's not something that we can negotiate about or decide to do part of rather than all of. He calls us to Christ-likeness. And so He calls us to growth in Himself. Verse 11 says, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Now, there's one other thing happening in our home right now. Don't tell anyone, but, but you know, some of us are getting a little harder of hearing than we used to be. I, I thought for a period of time it was teenagers mumbling, but I've, I think I've discovered that it's not just that. What did you say? We sometimes become dull of hearing and and we don't hear all the syllables and we have to, to guess what to use to fill in the gap. And God is telling us by His 
servant, the author of the epistle to the Hebrews, that we need to be careful because Jesus is a great high priest and he has done wonderful things for us. And we need to be sharp rather than dull in our hearing. We need to press on to things in him. We need to love Him with our whole heart. We need to study His Word. We need to care for Him. We need to make sure that our ears, our lives hang on His every word. Do you remember when you first got married, those of you that are wed? Do you remember how delightful it was to be in your first home? And your spouse could but sigh, and it just made your heart float. Or do you remember your first child? They could be at the other end of the dwelling. And if there was but a whimper, what did you do? You ran. You listened. You hovered. You wondered. Is he okay? Does she need something? Should I go in? What should I do? Some years ago, also in Edinburgh, My parents called. My father said, well, son, how is it? I said, Dad, it's pretty tough. You know, this little critter cries all the time, and and you have to change these stinky diapers, and it's very difficult to get some sleep. Dad, it really is kind of tough. He said, if you think it's now bad now, just wait until he's 30. (laughs) We are called to grow up. Parents hang on the whimper of their first child. They, they pay some attention to the cries of their second child, their third child. They, all they want to know is if there's blood and whether they have to go to the hospital. <laughs> and God is concerned here that we be attentive rather than dull when it comes to our Christian walk in life with Him. Oh, we're told in verse 12, by this time you ought to be teachers But you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracle of God. You need milk, not solid food. It's to maturity that God calls us. That we might grow and strengthen in Him. Not by walking away from Him and and moving on to an interest in some other area, but being more concerned with Him. You know, many, many of us are still like an LP. We're, We're caught on that repeating track. There's a There's a scratch on the record, and it's the same one revolution over and and over and and over and over again. And and we're interested in in hearing about our conversion, and and we're interested in in the emotional high that we had, and and we're just fascinated with how great it was to be in worship in those first days. And, And that is the focal point of our Christian life because, you see, it's just a way of doing what we've always done, which is paying attention, not to God, but to ourselves. And God says, listen up. I'm in the room. Pay attention to me. Don't grow dull in your hearing. Dig into the Word. He points us back to His Son, the very Word of God. And he says, not that we need to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Not that we are able to grow in Christ apart from the Holy Spirit. No, he he points us back to Jesus. He points us back to the oracles of God. 
he points us back to our need for solid food from the word to learn the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. He tells us to wake up and to pay attention to God and to strive with every nerve to be like his son. Now, how do you do this? Well, it's very clear. The great priest of God has spread out before you the very means of grace. The great priest of God has provided for you all that you need for your Christian living by his word and by his spirit, which have come because of his sacrifice and his triumph. And so you must read his word. You know, sometimes people ask, well, well, why do you have this whole long reading? I mean, reading from the Old Testament, 20-some verses? Boy, that's boring. And we say, no, it's not boring. It's the inspired Word of God. God has given us His Word as a gift. He, he gives it to us on the silver platter of inspiration where He worked in the hearts and lives of His prophets and apostles of old. It's His gift to us. He gives it and so we take up and read. We hang upon His every word. And we pray it back to Him. We don't go off into our corner and invent some man-made system we call prayer by which we weave some elegant words in order to try to manipulate the Almighty into doing what we want. That's the way the pagan priesthood works. We rather go to His Word, to what He has revealed, and we see there the pattern as the saints of old, as Jesus Himself, as the apostles, as they are faced with crowds wandering and hostile, Lift up holy prayers to God. Make reference to His Word written. As the saints sing, we have the Psalms filling our mouth. It's not our creations. It's ones patterned after His. If our singing doesn't look like a psalm in some basic sense, something's very wrong. The content matters. The corporate nature of it matters. Not the titillation the objective reference to God Himself that we offer Him singing of His Word in worship, not to ourselves. And so we read His Word, and we pray His Word, and we sing His Word, and we see His Word. Fairly soon the tops will be lifted, the cover will be removed, and there the appointed visible elements for you to handle, to touch, and to taste are given. It's not that God is obsessed with bread and, and obsessed with the fruit of the vine. He's making an impact on you through His ordained means. He calls you to recognize that He is your life and strength, that He is your true food and drink, as Jesus said. He calls you to eat not with your teeth and your tongues, but He calls you to eat with the mouth of faith, that your heart might be lifted to heaven, that your soul might feed upon Jesus Christ, who is your Savior and your Lord. He calls every believer to this table that we might be strengthened 
and seeing His Word might be more like His Son. And He calls us to sit under His preaching. Boy, you like to preach. Yes. Yes, the preaching of the Word is a blessing to our souls. The preaching of the Word is where words don't just resound, bouncing off the walls, but the words are driven deeply into our hearts and to our lives, that they might be a well and a blessing, a fount for all the week until we can have another dose. God blesses us by the preaching of His Word. And so by these means of grace that He has appointed, He sets everlasting life before us. And so by these means that He who was crucified has set before you, He bids you to come in faith. He bids you to look to Him alone for your salvation. He commands you to trust in Him and so to taste and see that He is indeed marvelous and your only comfort and hope. Let us look to Jesus together. Let us pray. Oh, our Father and our God, we do ask that You would aid us as we come now to Your table that You would help us to come full of faith, that we might not come obsessed with ourselves, but with our eyes fixed upon Jesus. May we worship Him we pray, giving Him all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.